0: Everybody, everybody, (laughs) Uh, Michelangelo, not the uh, Ninja Turtle, the actual artist, Michelangelo was a sculptor and not a painter. Actually, Michelangelo despised painting. At At the command of the newly elected Pope Julius II, Michelangelo came to Rome in 1505 just as he was turning 30 years old. Julius wished to build an enormous tomb for himself containing 45 life-size statues to be constructed in a manner so grand that nothing like it had would have existed since the time of the burial of great men of old, a massive structure, and Julius thought Michelangelo was the man for the job. However, our Pope here, Julius II, uh, had a hard time settling on the right venue So he told Michelangelo that he could keep busy with other things, particularly the new St. Peter's Basilica. And years went by. Julius uh, still did not decide on what to build and where. And so Michelangelo, he told, sorry, Michelangelo that he could occupy himself with painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. In order to perform this feat, Michelangelo, who despised painting, he was much rather uh, sculpted, had to learn the elaborate art of frescoing, something he had never done before. I find that amazing. That in order to paint the Sistine Chapel, he had to learn the elaborate art of frescoing, and he had never done it before. But as we know, Michelangelo was an incredibly quick study. And the result, as you know, I have a picture of it here on the board. I would assume that it does. I've never been there, uh, and I would love to go but, and see it. And uh, the result of him just having learned how to do this is the most splendid work of his, this reluctant artist's amazing career. A progressive set of illustrations of salvation history that to this day fills every viewer with awe. So it does seem that Michelangelo was a Christian, that he possessed an incredible talent. Uh, He had to hone his skills, but no one could do what this man could do. The filling of the Spirit is going to give us supernatural skill, but not the skill to do something like this, the skill of artistry. Although we actually see this being portrayed in the Old Testament in the, New, in the New Testament and in this age, I could hardly see a place where uh, the uh, supernatural ability to do art would actually benefit the body of Christ, although I can't say that exactly for sure. Uh, but what we do know is that the work of the Spirit in us is something like this, uh, meaning that it it's beautiful, and it will be beautiful because it's God who is doing it. It will be beautiful and amazing. God working through the creature that he loves, doing what he wills, and that has to be beautiful and amazing. However, not everyone's going to recognize it. Everybody who sees the Sistine Chapel is awed by it. Uh, However, not everybody's going to be awed by the work that you do, although that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people see or don't see. It just matters what we see. And the fact that we know that the Spirit of God is going to do amazing, beautiful things through us, and that is the filling of the Spirit. It's not a talent like Michelangelo possessed, but it's something that is related to it in some ways. So today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit uses the Word that is in us uh, already, and to make. The, the good choices that we make, the Holy Spirit is going to use that, uh, those choices, and part of those choices is to learn God's Word and put God's Word in us, and so uh, that's what we'll be talking about today. So uh, before we do, let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for our time together and for His Word and to be humble and reverent as we learn God's Word and have it change us. With that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the ability and privilege of hearing your word, of studying these passages that we're about to see, of discerning and discovering the work of the Holy Spirit within us, so that we may glorify you and truly live a life that is uh, of a supernatural origin and not of an earthly human origin, Uh, to be so privileged, Father, by Uh, having your spirit within us having you within us having your word within us and to be able from that word to live and to work and to do and to truly enjoy our relationship with you Uh, you do all the work here and we do not even if we do amazing things they are your things that are done and none of us can become prideful or arrogant about that but just simply enjoy it and enjoy your presence and so we ask, Father, that through your Spirit that we would come, each of us, to understand this important subject even more, and we ask in Christ's name, amen. So we'll, we'll be uh, starting in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5:15 5, through 21. That's our main passage to look at, the filling of the Holy Spirit, in the context, at least, of that paragraph. Uh, Paul writes, don't be drunk with wine, for that is throwing away everything good. Uh, that's it. We'll start. If we start in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. We saw that word asetia in Greek. It means to throw away that which is good. It means to be wasteful. Uh, it means to be prodigal. So, don't get drunk with wine. That is throwing away everything that's good. But be filled with the Spirit. This means to have a a life that is filled with God, the Holy Spirit. And not any other earthly thing uh, that would. uh, So, if it's not drunkenness, you know, is this the only sin in view here? Of course, it's not, and we've already spoken about that a bit. But it's it's uh, this particular sin, drunkenness, is the one that everybody knows to be truly wasteful. It's truly wasteful of time. It ruins relationships. It ruins your physical body. Uh, It it wastes that which is good. And all are familiar with it, and I think that's why Paul would use it here, but certainly we wouldn't think that this is the only sin that is in view. And we can tell that by the description of the sin as, again, dissipation or throwing away that which is valuable, and what other sins do that? And they all do. Any, Any sin that controls me, causes me to waste time, waste energy, uh, that uh, w- wonderful description of sin by um, uh, what's his name, the, one of the Chucks. I always forget his name. I Think it's Swindoll. At, you know, it makes you pay more than you want to spend. It makes you stay longer than you want to stay. It makes you do more than you want to do. And, and sin is sin is always like that. If it controls us, we waste our lives. Uh, and and so that's what's in view here. What Paul has to mean or wants to mean or wants to reveal to us is that uh, to have a life filled with the Holy Spirit, a life filled with God and not any other earthly thing. And by having a life filled with God, we're going to produce, we're going to see things and do things that we couldn't possibly have imagined, uh, really, truly wonderful things. So looking at it in the context here, again, verse 15 Therefore, be careful, or be on the lookout, how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or wastefulness, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So uh, we see a number of things here just to pluck them out again to make sure that they emblazon themselves on our minds. That first off, we have to be careful. Why do we have to be careful or be on the lookout is because there's a lot, th- a lot of things around us and in us that would cause us to be unwise, and that would cause us to make bad decisions. And so we have to be careful how we walk, which is careful how we live. Making the most of your time means you're opportunistic every single day. Uh, we'll speak about that a little bit today, that is, this can't be a part-time thing. The Christian life is a day-to-day commitment. Uh, and, and Paul tells us here, making the most of your time because the days are evil and that doesn't mean that everything that we face is evil. It means that the days are uh, have the potential of evil every single day uh, because of this fallen world. We're surrounded by evil. A day can become evil uh, against us, meaning we could go through tribulation or persecution or incredible loss or suffering or what have you. We could be greatly tempted in ways that we're not used to. Uh, or isn't like every day, and we never know when those days are coming. So that's why he says, make the most of your time. Use every day as an opportunity. And he says, don't be foolish, but be wise and understand what the will of God is. Don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. And then, speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, that's our fellowship with one another, our relating to one another, of the good things of God and the truth of God, the praises of God, even the songs of God, and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, and that's our gratitude and joy towards the Lord, giving thanks to Him and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, meaning that we serve one another. And so all of that's in view here in the filling of the Holy Spirit It's a life of wisdom. It's a life of alertness. It's a life that takes uh, advantage of opportunity. It's a life lived every day with keen um, uh, perception of what is happening in that day and what is needed in that day. Being wise, not being drunk, but also being joyous, fellowshipping with others, and serving others in the fear of Christ. So, of course, and, and you know, this is all going to be um, in accordance with our choices, and, and that becomes very important. Uh, so, when we think of that, we think, well, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And we uh, am- immediately think of how, and, and what does it mean, how do we know, and things like that. And we we can explore that, and it's actually quite simple. Um First off, we're told by Christ in John 16, or sorry, in John 14, that the Holy Spirit will never leave us. Uh, so if the Holy Spirit isn't going to leave us, and He's not, because Christ told us He wasn't, then the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. If the Holy Spirit is in us forever, we can't really be empty of the Spirit. Uh, so <clears throat> then we ask, well, what does filling mean? In uh, the simplest definition of this word play rho o in the greek it means to fill up something like an empty cup is filled with water so is that what it is do we are we empty of the spirit and then we're filled up with the spirit as if he's like taking up a a capacity of volume inside of us or something like that and that's obviously not the case because the filling of the spirit has supernatural effects that are of the mind, the soul, the spirit and the heart. And so where the effect of the Holy Spirit is is upon our inner selves as Paul wrote in Ephesians 3 and, and so that the Holy Spirit is influencing, controlling and we're going to look at all of these words uh, in ways to describe the Holy Spirit as doing something we can say at this point with our heart, soul, mind and spirit. <coughs> So we can get insight from the Scripture, and that's the only place that we can get insight. Uh, The Holy Spirit is to take the Son's things and reveal them to us. That Jesus said in John 16, 14, that the Holy Spirit, he said, will take of mine and he will reveal it to you. So this has to be related here, And, and certainly it is, that to live the life that is described by the Holy Spirit... It's not a unique life that has never been lived before. And that becomes very important because all it is described here uh, in the New Testament about how we live, the virtues, the morals, the motivation, uh, the wisdom, the ability, it it all matches perfectly the life of Christ. And so when Jesus said, the Spirit's going to take of mine and disclose it to you, and then he said... All the things that the Father has are mine, therefore I say he will disclose it to you, meaning that the Holy Spirit is going to disclose to us the Father and the Son. And so we see right at the head of this chapter in Ephesians 5 that we're told to be imitators of God. In Ephesians 5, imitators of God in love, Ephesians 5.1. And so to be an imitator of God, we've got to know God and that's part a big part of the spirit's ministry is revelation of who the son is and who the father is and to actually know them in an intimate way and so the filling therefore is uh, a part or, or a a ministry of knowledge at least we could say that much the the, ministry, the filling of the spirit is a ministry of knowledge of the things of the Son and the Father to us, and so we recognize those. Therefore, the filling of the Spirit is not a mystical experience or some sort of spell that controls us, nor is it possession. What I mean by that, like demon possession. Though each of these have some truth to them. Right? Is there a level of control? Well, if he's guiding us, there kind of has to be. Is there a mystical experience? Well, you know, I'm not going into a trance and seeing visions, but there is an experience of I'm able to do what God has called me to do. I'm able to see the Father and the Son. There's got to be a great experience there. But, you know, how far can that go? And that's what we have to be careful of. Um, Does he control us? Well, not like a puppet. But he provides the ability to lead us. Does he possess us? Well, not in the way that we lose our consciousness or lose control, because we don't. We always have to make good decisions. So the spirit's ministry is something like these things, but not exactly. And and we say, well, well, why can't we define it? I'll tell you why. Because it's so complex. The, the way in which God indwells a man and controls and guides and imparts wisdom, while that man or woman maintains their free will and choices and self-determination, uh, along with their ability to sin and grieve the Spirit, you know, is something that's quite beyond our ability to understand in a, you know, kind of linear uh, format. You know, human beings, we all like uh, things to be described to us with. Very definite lines, you know. Everything's in a watertight compartment, but that's not what life is like. It, it truly isn't. So, you know, it's the spirit is something like control, but not loss of control. The spirit is something like possession, but we don't. Uh, sorry, but we don't lose our need to make good, sound choices. Like, we, we see the people who are possessed by demons in the old in the in the Gospels. And, you know, they they're kind of lost control. But, you know, we don't lose control. In fact, uh, the ninth, ninth on the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.23 is self-control. So the filling of the Spirit is also something like a mystical experience. But I'm not on a mountaintop all the time. Yeah, at times it is. But not all the time. And so it's some of these things to a certain limit and each of us have to figure this out for our own and our own and we'll see that um, the scriptures do describe to us what this life looks like and if we see what this life looks like on paper in our scripture and it looks like the life that I'm living in my own way then I can be sure that I haven't accomplished this but God has some believers though want the the experience so bad. Uh, And this becomes an issue uh, in certain denominations. I think you know the ones I speak of. That they want to be controlled. They want to fall under a spell. They want the mystical experience so bad that they convince themselves that it must be the experience of the Holy Spirit. That this is the only way. And they convince themselves so strongly that the Holy Spirit will actually overwhelm them with emotionalism, and sometimes this is uh, sought out in speaking in tongues or prophesying, and then losing all control. And it's more psychosomatic than anything, because if a person can convince themselves strong enough that you know their emotion should control them, and it's and it's God doing that, then they could actually fall into that and actually think it's a real experience but experience is not truth and that's another very important thing to know as a believer experience is not necessarily truth if my experience is not found in the scripture then that's something else uh if i say my experience is god-given but it matches nothing in the scripture then uh, you're wrong there And and we all have to be careful of that. The Scripture speaks nothing of being overwhelmed with emotion or uh, losing control. It speaks nothing of that. The Spirit, what we do see in the Spirit, if I may summarize quickly, is a a Spirit-filled Christian is a joyous servant. Servant. Now, how do I know that? Well, it's right after the filling of the Holy Spirit in verses 19, 20, and 21. Uh, so, we can see that. This Spirit-filled Christian is a joyous servant who fears Christ and is, therefore, fully in control of himself. He is wise and virtuous and energetic. There are many other aspects to this, and we'll touch on them. I couldn't possibly... For me to describe, uh, for any teacher to describe all the effects of the filling of the Holy Spirit, you'd have to describe all the effects of the Christian life. Because there's nothing in the Christian life that is of a uh, spiritual experience that doesn't come from God the Holy Spirit. Whether it's work or experience or service or joy or whatever, all of those things come by the Spirit. So we are uh, never to disconnect the ministry of God the Holy Spirit in our lives from the life that is Christ. There are many aspects to this doctrine of the filling of the Spirit, but every aspect points to the Christ-like life. And that's how you can uh, uh, summarize it, and that's how you can keep it straight in your own mind. Uh, Sure, there's a lot here, and yet all of that is Christ, his life, his way, his truth, right? As he said in John 14, I'm the way, the life, and the truth. There it is. It's him. We are all, been predestined to be conformed to his image, every believer. And so it is him. He was filled with the Spirit. He, when he started his ministry, the Spirit descended from heaven upon him, upon which the Father said from heaven, this is my Son who in whom I'm well pleased. And and that's the servant of Isaiah 42. And uh, (coughs) he's prophesied in Isaiah 11, this one who came from the root of Jesse, who would be endowed with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 49, uh, 42, 49, 51, 53. Uh, And over and over this uh, revelation, especially in the book of Isaiah, about this servant who would come and save us uh, and suffer to save us. And therefore, by what he did here on earth, he showed us the example of how to actually live out the life of God, the, the perfect life of God in a human being. So we never disconnect the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit in our lives from the life that is Christ. So do you see life Uh, Sorry, do you see Christ in the Gospels losing control of his emotions? No. All right. And so, if you're saying this is a legit experience of the Spirit, well, check your Gospels and see if it is. And you know, check the New Testament and see if it is. And by sticking to the Word of God, we are nicely guided. And we've got a long way to go. Not, I mean, in this. It's really we're calling this a Holy Spirit miniseries because that's what it kind of is. But, you know, it's the reason I'm doing this is because I, I want to move to books, uh, the books of the New Testament. We're going to be very challenged by the books of the New Testament. And I want to make sure that all of us are clear that every good work we do, every good wisdom we have is a result of God, the Holy Spirit, and that all of us can do what the scripture tells us to do. Uh, The first book we're going to look at is the book of James, and it's going to challenge us in a very moral, ethical fashion, and we have to know that we have been empowered to live this life, and that we can't take any credit for it either. So when it comes to the Spirit, there is definitely some level of mystical experience, some level of control by the Holy Spirit, some level of possession, but nothing that could be measured you know, if you say, well, you know, I know I'm filled with the Spirit because I feel good. Well, you know, do you always feel good? Does this being spiritual mean you always feel good? Then if that's true, tell me the scripture that says that. I don't think it does. I mean, Christ himself suffered. He didn't feel good when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He certainly didn't feel good when he was hanging on the cross. So, you know, are there emotional experiences? Sure. But can you measure them? Can you predict them? And if you think that you can, that's when you truly get yourself into trouble. And I I mean doctrinally, because you can't base truth on experience. So what the, uh, as I said before, John 16, 14, and 15, the filling of the Spirit, rather than being filled with some kind of force, that makes me emotional or something like that or you know, uh, overwhelms me or possesses me is actually in the instance, probably the most important instance of what our Lord told us that the Spirit would do, which would be to reveal the Father and the Son in John sixteen fourteen and 15. The filling of the Spirit is an influence of supernatural understanding of the persons of the Father and the Son. And when you think about it, the Father and the Son are supernatural. So to understand them... It can't be on my silly base human intellect. <clears throat> Intellectual people have tried to figure out God for since the beginning. And uh, they all stunk at it. Every one of them. And no one can explain God. The great Plato, Socrates, the great philosophers of Greece, they couldn't figure them out. They knew that. Remember when Paul is in Athens in Acts 17, there's a statue next to all the other gods uh, in the the center square there, and there's one that's to an unknown god. They even at least they were humble enough to know that there had to be something more than Zeus and Apollo and Hera. There there had to be something more, and um, no one's ever been able to try and uh, have been able to figure them out. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are supernatural, and we need supernatural understanding to understand them. <coughs> Now, once we do understand them, then we can, you know, by the Spirit, and it's going to take faith and say, well, all right, uh, what does the Scripture want me to do? And, i.e., in other words, what does God want me to do? What kind of person does he want me to be? And then we read about it in the Scripture. Without glossing over anything, without watering it down, we come to see that we are to live some supernatural life, a great supernatural life. One in which, as the Lord said, is a house built upon a rock that any problems in life can smash and crash against us and we still hold firm and that we're extraordinary. That's what he is. As he said to us, if you just greet those who greet you or you love those who love you, you're no different than the people in the world. He said, how are you different? How are you extraordinary? Which meant that we are to be extraordinary and the only way to be extraordinary is by the filling of the Holy Spirit. But not the filling of the Holy Spirit without the Word of God within you. The Spirit has to work with something. And that's what today is about. You've either to work with, There has to be the Word of God in your soul. And there has to be a willingness on your part to live the Word of God. He's not going to force you, nor is he going to force truth into your soul. You have to have it there. Each of us have to make the decision. Why do we have to keep reading the same passages over and over again? If it's the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom, we should be masters of the Bible in, I don't know, in a few months. How long does it take you to read? You would just have to read through it once. And you read through it once, so like in our reading through the Bible takes a year. Alright, so after one year, you know everything. There's no need to go back. You can throw your Bible out. It's all downloaded into your brain. But that's not the case, is it? And we know this. We have to keep returning to it. So, though we can't understand the Word of God without the Holy Spirit, we are certainly... Now, be careful. I'm going to be careful here. We're on our own to make the decision to learn it. And... God has left our human faculties to the level that they are so that for me to truly learn a passage in Scripture or a chapter or a book, I have to keep going back to it. And I have to actually spend time understanding what all the words are, what all the thoughts mean, what the main theme is, what the sub-themes are, and to, to discern it. And I've got to work at that. You know, you've got to read, you've got to read, and you've got to ponder, you've got to pray, you've got to read more, you've got to hear more. And we do it constantly, and still we forget things, um, we have to come back and relearn them. And so why is that? If we have the Holy Spirit to make us supernatural, well, it's because God is, has left our minds to learn uh, the, by choice. See, the Holy Spirit is just downloading into you like a computer. And then you know, you would, can you imagine? You would know every passage, what every passage means in the whole Bible. Like a computer, you could spit it out. Uh, but that's not done for us. And what does that highlight? Our choices. God has made it. God has, I'll put it this way. God has left us limited. So that we have to choose to learn. And that takes a, a commitment. We have to choose day in and day out to learn. It's something, what we're talking about filling, right? And last week we did a, a, a message that I enjoyed very much uh, about uh, you know filling our time with other things. And so as we could have, go through our whole day, no dedication to God's word, no prayer time, but we've filled the whole day with our cell phone and our computer and television, and work, and, and whatever. From one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And and I, I didn't look at his word at all. I didn't pray at all. Those are your choices. And you're because you're a believer who has the spirit within, you're not going to be forced. So, we uh, go to Exodus 28, and we'll look at... Uh, These instances of the nature of the filling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament actually help us out quite a bit. Uh, When I first thought of highlighting this particular aspect of the filling of the Holy Spirit, I thought, you know, this isn't done all that much because we know that the ministry of the Spirit in the Old Testament is not exactly the same as the ministry in the New Testament. But that doesn't mean that we can't glean some real important principles as long as we have our wisdom guiding us. Now the first thing, uh, and if you read my notes, I put an alert in there. That's I, I put that in now so I don't forget to say it. But uh, <clears throat> the ministry of God the Holy Spirit to the Old Testament saints was rare and temporary. So what that means is that not hardly anyone in the Old Testament, that we see in the Scripture had any ministry of the Holy Spirit in them. And we see the Spirit in certain people, we see the Spirit on certain people, and we see the Spirit filling certain people. And the same word is used, although it's a Hebrew word, but it's, it's equivalent to the Greek word. And, and, you know, it's because it's a very common word to be filled with something. And temporary, temporary means that the Spirit, what we see, the instances of, is a, we often quote uh, there's a prayer by David. I think it's, in psalm, it's either Psalm 38 or Psalm 51, his uh, confession psalm, where he says, he prays, don't take your spirit from me. Uh, David wouldn't have prayed that if he didn't think that, you know, or he wasn't knowledgeable of the fact that the Holy Spirit could be lost to an Old Testament saint who had the Spirit. Uh, we also see that the Spirit is not every day uh, controlling, guiding, uh, empowering people. Uh, when we see the filling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, it is generally for the uh, doing of a certain uh, particular task. And once that task is over, if it was the Spirit's purpose, say, in our first instance, to make the, the high priest's garment, once the high priest's garment is made, the Spirit is no longer needed. Right? That was the mission of the Holy Spirit. That is different than it is in the New Testament. In the church, the Spirit is in us to do everything. Uh, if, if we're going to be wise today, the Holy Spirit's in us to make that happen. If we're going to love today, the Holy Spirit's in us to make that happen. Uh, if we're going to be spiritual today, obviously the Holy Spirit is in us to make that happen. Every day for everything. And that is the great privilege and blessing that I I know uh, too many Christians just take for granted. I think a lot of Christians don't even know that it's available. That the Spirit is in them. I I know in the denomination that I grew up in, in Roman Catholicism, nothing is said of it. And uh, it's that's very sad. The scripture abounds in the New Testament with the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The, Spirit, the Scripture abounds with those who are filled with the Spirit. And we're commanded, as we've seen, to be filled with the Spirit. If that is neglected, um, and I would say even in a believer's life, if a believer knows what it, what the right thing to do and sets off to do it, then the spirit will empower them to do it. What is sad is that they wouldn't know that it was the spirit within them that did it, which opens up uh, you know the the very real possibility that they could become arrogant and proud about the good work that they did and then and then they've lost it. And that can happen to any of us, but if you don't know that the spirit is in you to make this stuff happen, then you're you're eventually going to take credit for it. The good if you're going to do good things, that are of a divine origin, if you don't know the Spirit's doing it, then you're going to take credit for it and there goes your spiritual life. So, the first mention of being filled with the Spirit is here in Exodus 28. So if we look at Exodus 28, verse 3, uh, God is saying to Moses, You shall speak to all the skillful persons who I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate them, that they may minister as priests to me. These are the garments which they shall make, a breastpiece and an ephod and a robe and a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that he may minister as priest to me, they shall take the gold and blue and purple and scarlet material and the fine linen. Now there's one piece of this that I want you to remember. I think we're, I think tomorrow I'm going to use it as an example. but there's the uh, sash or, or the uh, kind of uh, the girdle that went around the outside. I've got the picture of it here. Uh, that's the high priest with all the various parts. And what's important about this is that the high priest represents Jesus Christ, who is the high priest. So the other artisan who is uh, filled with the Spirit is uh, Basilel, who is the one who's going to construct or teach others how to construct the tabernacle and do all the artistry on that. We talked about him a little bit on Sunday. And the reason why that has to be Uh, constructed in a supernatural nature is because the tabernacle represents heaven and represents God who would be in the Holy of Holies. And so the things that are made in this place have to be of a nature that is truly supernatural. This is not just any old house. And this is not just any old garment. This is to go on the high priest who represents Jesus Christ, and all of these things that are on him, like the breast piece that represents the 12 tribes of Israel, the ephod, the robe, the tunic, the sash, and the turban on his head, is, uh, um, and there's something I'll show you right there coming up, that's why I uh, I not blew up his head, <laughs> that sounds wrong, but I, I uh, uh, zoomed in uh, to show you that gold plate that's supposed to be on his forehead, which really sum, summarizes the whole garment. Now, a point of uh, language, which is everybody's favorite. In verse 3, the New American Standard uses a small s spirit. It says, I have endowed him with the spirit of wisdom. The New American Standard doesn't capitalize spirit there because they think, well, it's something of a human spirit. But that's not actually true. That should be a capital S because in context with the craftsmen who work on the tabernacle, we have to conclude that this is God the Holy Spirit. So, the question really is, and this is the Holy Spirit, why does the Holy Spirit... I keep hearing bumps. I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, why do we need the Holy Spirit to tailor some clothes? If you you could skim it, all of chapter 28 is dedicated to the instruction of making these clothes. The whole chapter is. It's not the most exciting read in the world. But if you read it, I'm not going to read it for you, but if you read it, you would see how detailed this is. How actually everything, it has to be done right. Uh, and every detail is important, and the craftsmanship has to be exquisite and, and why? And, in this is where I sum up this last, if you go down to verse 19, here with the, the smaller picture of the high priest, written, you can see a little Hebrew there. Maybe I could, hold on, get out my pen. I'm going to practice this right here is your Hebrew. And it's Yavah Kadosh, uh, Kadosh or Yahweh Kadosh which means holy to the Lord. And, uh, you know, that's right on his forehead. Holy to the Lord. Verse 19, Exodus twenty-eight, nineteen: You shall also make a plate of pure gold and shall engrave on it like the engravings of a seal. Holy to the Lord. The high priest is to be holy to the Lord. The, therefore, the garments are. And therefore, the ones who have to make the garments... Have to actually make them exactly to the specifications and level of quality that God wants, and so they have to be done. They have to be filled with the Spirit. Now, think about this, and how does this apply to us here in this age? We are all called to be holy to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, the holiness to the Lord is. Um, the the behavior uh, we're we're all elected to be holy and blameless uh, Ephesians one three I'm uh, sorry one four all of us are elected to be holy and blameless and therefore we're to be holy we're to be perfect as the Father is perfect we're to be holy as God is holy and to do that we can't do that on our own you see the the tailor that is chosen here to make this garment is actually already a tailor. So he didn't pick like a blacksmith or a farmer to do this. This is someone who actually has skill in making clothes. But he doesn't have enough skill to make these clothes. And that's what I want to highlight here is that every human being has a certain level of skill. An unbeliever has a certain ability to be nice, to be kind, to be loving – to have wisdom and so on, or, or knowledge, we could say. And they can do that to a certain level. Now, when we become born again and saved, we get completely changed. We become brand-new creatures. We're the temple of God. We're indwelt in, by God, the Holy Spirit. And what what we're called to do is something that demands the work of the Spirit. Everything that we're called to be and to do, to think and to do, is... Uh, at the level of heaven and at the level of only what the God, the Holy Spirit, can do. The problem that happens with believers is that we take our unbelieving skill. Like, right, we, we knew a little bit about love before we became saved. We knew a little bit about this and a little bit about that. And we think that that's good enough, and it's not. We have to fill ourselves with God's Word. We have to fill ourselves with God's Spirit and then know that the only way that we could do anything that God wants us to do is to do it by the Spirit. And this is a perfect example that alone, with my human ability alone, I can do some things. And maybe even other people will be impressed. You know the, the, those who are easily impressed might be impressed, but <clears throat> to do what God has called me to do, that's a whole other level, and it's like creating something like this. Although in this age, I cannot see why we would need a great divine tailor, or a great divine blacksmith, or goldsmith. You know, for the guys who are going to make the tabernacle. But what we do need in this age, and we need it desperately. Are those who can love like God loves. not human love. human love, we can take a stab at it from our old selves our, 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 alone. I mean, everybody can be attracted, but not everybody can lay down their lives in service in the fear of Christ. That demands something supernatural. And that's what the church needs. The church doesn't need a, a tailor. The church don't need, don't need needs good English. The church doesn't need artisans. Now, the tabernacle did. But in the church, what do we need? It's a whole different building, right? It's not the tabernacle anymore. Now, the temple of God is people. And what does the church need? The church needs love and compassion and spiritual gifts and wisdom, serving one another, spreading the gospel, spreading the truth, uh, having courage and standing firm, being confident, The whole thing, everything that makes up the life of Christ, that's what the church needs. I think Satan has been uh, very successful in getting the church caught up in the question of what comes first and how to do it. And when we get arguing, I've seen Christians split over this issue, I've seen churches split over this issue. For instance, do I get filled with the Spirit first and then become holy? Or do I get holy and then get filled with the Spirit? Um, how do I get filled with the Spirit? Uh, what I'm, when I, I, don't have, I don't know why I'm looking around. I've got five, five to six different books in my office that are from awesome theologians, pastors who have five different opinions on how to be filled with the Spirit. Um, and they overlap quite a bit. Almost all of them include confession, but there's other things. Uh, some include commitment. Some don't. Some include uh, absolute yielding. Some don't. Some it's just confession. Some it's confession and uh, absolute yielding, meaning I give over to God all of my will to His. And uh, I, in every one of these cases, I would put them all in there. <laughs> because... Getting caught up in the issue of what comes first when the Bible doesn't address it is something that divides. And that's not what this is about. The filling of the Spirit is to bring us together, not divide us. If someone says, look, I think it's confession and confession only, great. What would Christ say to you? Go and do. If someone says, you know, I think it's yielding and confession and complete commitment. The the, the one I... Uh, as um, fruit and bombs in, in his book on the Holy Spirit. He has five things that you got to do, and they're all legit. Meaning that what? They're all a part of the will of God. What if I'm not doing the will of God? Well, the Spirit's not going to fill me for that. He's not going to guide me in that. Uh, but what happens is, because of either personal preference or what we've been taught in the past, what we would call pre-understanding, People have got very upset about this and have divided themselves from one another, when in actuality, what is here is first off, where is this passage? Ephesians 5 is in Ephesians. Okay. Uh, Ephesians, in Ephesians, Paul begins to write about the holy and blameless walk. Where? In chapter 4, verse 1. The holy and blameless walk is our life experience. He says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That's in Ephesians 4.1. He starts, therefore, writing, Paul does in Ephesians, about our blameless life and our holy life in Ephesians 4. And that discussion runs to the, clearly to the end of the book. So from Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, which we've studied, Paul writes about our holy life. Now he doesn't command us to be filled with the Spirit at the start of that section, nor does he command us to be filled with the Spirit at the end of this section. He puts it roughly smack dab in the middle. It's right there. And it, you know, it's in an odd place. We think be wise, don't be be on the alert, don't be unwise, but wise, know what the will of God is, don't get drunk. You're like, why did you throw that in there? Like, <laughs> All right, don't, there's a plenty of sins that I shouldn't do. Why this now? I couldn't tell you, actually. But it seems to me that Paul just he puts it right there in the middle, and it's surrounded. Be filled with the Spirit. It's surrounded by positive commands and negative commands. It's commanded, there's 26 commands. I think it's 26. I counted them up once. That start in chapter 4 and run to the end of the book. In my conclusion, is that the, the decisions made in humility with the absence of sin to yield to God, or God's will, no matter what may come, is the path to the filling of the Spirit. My, uh, again, decisions made in humility, which would include confession, uh, if, if necessary. In the absence of sin, The absence of sin, you know, obviously, if I have sin, I've grieved the Spirit, so I confess and stop the sinning. Yielding to God's will. Well, if I don't yield to God's will, I'm sinning. So, all of these are in view in which I must set off and live God's life and my choices matter. There's no filling of the Spirit and then He just controls all my choices. Because if that's the case then we'd all become sinless eventually. And none of us do. The Bible is very clear about that. With humility, yielding, confession of sin when necessary, we set off to live God's life and you will be filled with the Spirit to accomplish that life. And here's the wonderful thing about that is that when you do accomplish that life, you won't take credit for it. Because you know... That God, the Holy Spirit, is in you to do this. That is the purpose of his ministry to you as a believer. So, for instance, if, if I use myself as an example, and I normally don't like to do that, but I'm the only one I know when it comes to this, um, uh, you know, I know all of us struggle to do what is right on a day-by-day basis, meaning to live in God's will. And what I've, uh, what has been very successful with me is that I pray before I do almost anything now. If if I have to do a thing like study or whatever it is, uh, even on my way home before I deal with people, before everything, I pray. The, uh, flare prayer from anywhere. That's, I hold on, I, I do that on top of my, uh, my inner room prayer. Uh, As I see sins, I confess them. I also confess every day that I'm a sinner more than I know. And I ask God for His forgiveness and I know and thank Him for His forgiveness. I read and study His Word every day. And I have found that if I'm going to make today a day filled with holy decisions and have filled my heart to have a heart filled with holy thoughts, it is vital that I do this. If I ignore prayer, if I ignore study, if I ignore confession then I start ignoring God for that day. And that day can become filled with me and fears and lusts and sin. I've also found that my areas of weakness must be avoided completely if I'm going to live wholly unto the Lord today. And all of us, that's where we're tempted the most. Those areas of weakness cannot be remotely entertained. Or my day will fall into that weakness And it takes me a while to recover from that. It can't happen. And I have found that when I chose these things, life works amazingly. Now, my point, how could I, the sinner that I am, see amazing work in my own life because I've made good decisions? Because I'm so smart, I'm so... Po- no, I, there's only one possible answer to where that power comes from to make an amazing life. There's only one source. And it's God the Holy Spirit. If we obey Philippians 2.12, God the Holy Spirit will accomplish His good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. Now, I give an example of myself, but what you know? the question now begs for you, the listener... What do you do to give yourself the best chance of living every day holy to the Lord? I shared mine not so you could mimic it, but because uh, uh, to show you what I've seen work. What has to be in each of our lives is prayer, study, determination, faith, commitment, obedience, and more. Every day. Are they a part of your daily routine? Or, would you rather fill your life with something else? Again, do you want a life? Because we think filling the Holy Spirit, we've always looked at this as, you know, it's a light switch that we turn on and off. But certainly the filling of the Spirit has to pertain to individual moments. Of course it would. If you have a life filled with the Spirit, you have moments filled with the Spirit. But instead of looking at it in terms of I switch the spirit on, I turn the spirit off, I switch them on, I turn them off, rather look at your life, and you can look at it that way, there's nothing wrong with that, but to look at your life, well, there could be something wrong with that, believe it for now, look at your life as a whole and say, look, on a day-to-day basis, am I someone who fills myself with God or am I someone who fills myself with everything else, anything else, which are all things from the earth on a day-by-day basis. If I lose a day, I lose my momentum. If without no study, no prayer, no thinking, just off, occupied with other things in the earth, and I don't have a day that is dedicated to the Lord like every day should be, then I lose momentum and it takes me a while to get it back. One bad day can easily turn into two, can turn into a bad week, can turn into a bad month. And to recover from that, you lose your momentum. When you lose momentum, it's hard to get back. you always get it back. Always can, by the grace of God. But it's not something that we want to do. Again, prayer, study, determination, faith, commitment, obedience. Are they a part of your daily routine? Or would you rather fill your time with something else? What do you do to choose that the Spirit will fill you today? And the command, be filled with the Spirit, is in the present tense. So, it does mean that we are to be continually filled. What do we choose? See, The Spirit's going to use the truth in us and our choices. And so, we've got to make good choices. And we've got to maintain and continue to learn God's Word so that it is there for us to use. The, the, uh, The tailor who made the clothes for the high priest was already a tailor the spirit is taking the skill that the tailor has and elevating it to a level that god is pleased with the same is true of us we have the word of god in us and we have a willingness to make good choices if we do that god the holy spirit is going to take that and elevate it to the to the level that pleases god let's pray Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word that makes things clear uh, and helps us to understand the manner and the way of this filling uh, and to not you know, come to our own conclusions, but just to use your word. And uh, using your word, Father, will get us there. We know this. We thank you for that. We thank you for your clarity and for the fact that you do not want to confuse us, but you only want to bring clarity. And we ask that through your Spirit that would happen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.